Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Several years ago, I was hiking in the Teton Mountains, as I love to do. Many of you know that. Probably get tired of hearing me say that. But it's great for nature God illustrations. There's a waterfall about three-quarters of the way up the trail. I was going to summit Grand Teton. It's a two-day excursion. The first day, you sort of finish, get close to finishing the day before camp that night at a waterfall called Spalding Falls. And Spalding Falls is uh, fed by um, snow runoff, so it's gush- gushing, but, but its most prevalent source is uh, a spring, a natural spring. And it's above the timberline, and it's above, if you can understand this, the contamination of the animals. So it's pure, and you can just put your straw right into the stream and, or your face right into it and just drink it straight out of the ground. It's that clean and clear. And it is cold. It is satisfying. It is great. And it's a, it's a religious experience, honestly, to drink from this, this stream uh, at Spalding Falls. But as I've, as I've you know, spent time there before and, and I've thought about these two passages, this one that we read in Jeremiah, this one here from Paul, and, and, and Jeremiah actually says, you know, heaven, be, be, be appalled. People are exchanging the, the fountain of living water for others, and I thought, standing up there at Spalding Falls, how crazy would it be if we saw a group of guys walking up with their Yeti coolers full of Dasani water, and they sat it down right next to the Spalding Falls and started drinking their bottled water? We're like, what? This is ridiculous. We would be appalled. We would be shocked. We would be astonished. This is silly. You have this unbelievably natural, never-ending spring water, and you just hauled in your igloo cooler up here a whole bunch of Deer Park water from Kroger. Uh, and as I thought about that, it's like, that deserves a gif or a meme, you know, kind of like the Home Alone guy. Uh, he's like, what are you doing? You know, like, this is crazy. To be honest, though, this is what Jeremiah and Paul are saying to people who have exchanged this free, abundant, life-giving gospel, God, the great I am, for other things, good things. It'd be hard to find something more biblical than circumcision. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing to the Galatian church. It's not Christ plus circumcision or Christ plus anything. It is Christ alone. And that's exactly what this passage is saying. Paul is astonished. He is shocked that they are exchanging the gospel of Jesus Christ for another gospel he says is actually no gospel at all. So 
Let's look at this. And so I've, I've called this appropriately astonished because you're, you might see in yourself this morning the tendency to add to the gospel. You should, be, you should be astonished at yourself. You should be shocked. And you should be appropriately astonished when you see it in others or in the culture, in the church, in the world. And so let's be appropriately astonished this morning. And we'll do it in two ways. Let's look at the passage, then I'll apply it. We're going to see some astoundingly strong language and an astoundingly strong conclusion. Look at the language that he uses. First, the word astonished. He's astonished. He's shocked. He's dismayed. This, you know, this, as I mentioned, this feels like something that just ought to emote something very uh, descriptive in, in your face. I can't believe y'all are doing this. And he says he's astonished that they have so quickly deserted. The word desert here literally has the military connotations of a traitor. That you were following King Jesus and his gospel declaration and now you have deserted him and you have gone to the other side. You have exchanged, uh, apostatized against this gospel by going somewhere else. This is something that should really scare us. Phil Riken in his commentary says, the Galatians were betraying their allegiance to Jesus Christ and going to the other side. And the other side is that wide path with a wide gate where Christ and any number of good and important issues are combined to say you're a good Christian. He's saying, don't do that. You're deserting it. And then he says two other things. These folks that are telling you this gospel are trying to trouble you and they are distorting the gospel. The word trouble here means an internal turmoil. Oh my goodness, am I doing something wrong? Is God gonna be mad at me? Did did I miss a step here? Is he really gonna accept me? Oh my goodness, they are troubling the Galatians with this new gospel. This past week, I was having a conversation with a young lady at our home, and she said, asked me this. She said, Will, is believing in reincarnation a sin? And I know enough of this young lady's story and her background to know that that question was a deflective question among the other 35 that she's asked me over time to, that really is at the source, she is afraid that God is mad at her and she wants to make sure she's not missing a box. So knowing that about her, I said, I said, listen, can I ask you a deeper question? So I didn't answer her question. I said, are you afraid that God is mad at you? She said, yes. And I said, he's not. Somewhere along the line, this young lady had been troubled by somebody who told her, it's Jesus plus everything you can do to try to keep this God from being mad at you. And she spent her life wondering, did I get it right? Do I ask the right questions? Do I have the right answers? And I said to her, God is a merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and the cross proves it, rest there. And you could almost visibly see the, the, the luggage come off of her back. It's Christ alone. You don't need to be troubled any longer in your soul. Because, as Paul says, these folks are trying to distort, change, or alter the message of the gospel. Paul would later tell us the reason why they were doing that is so they could have a good showing in the flesh. Distorting the gospel always is about a man-centered approach versus a God-centered. Because if I'm man-centered, I will distort it because I want something from you or I want to get something for me from you. 
You start distorting the gospel. A troubled soul will start looking for ways to distort it to ease that troubled soul. And what the gospel of Jesus Christ says is, it's settled. It's Christ alone. You don't have to add anything to it. Stop being troubled. The gospel does not need to be changed, does not need to be distorted. Nothing needs to be added to it. So whatever the ultimate reasoning Paul uses strong language to say that distorting the gospel only brings internal turmoil to your soul and will eventually lead you to desert the one who died on a cross and rose from the dead to give you this free, all-satisfying grace. That's what Paul's saying. And then he gives an astoundingly strong conclusion. If this is happening, if you are being troubled in your soul and the gospel is being distorted, this is what he says to those who are troubling you. He says, even if we... The apostles, or an angel from heaven, those warrior messengers from heaven, should say to you another gospel. Can you, can you get any higher in biblical authority than the apostles and angels? And he's saying, listen, if me, Peter, James, Andrew, any of us show up, or if Michael or Gabriel come down from heaven and give you an alternate gospel than the one I gave you, which is free grace in Christ alone, do not listen to them. And he repeats it. I've said this before, so I'll say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel different than free grace in Christ alone, by faith alone, let him be accursed. And that word there is a strong, divine curse. Let them be accursed. This ought to give us great pause. Adding to the gospel, trying to contribute your own water to a already satisfying waterfall will bring a curse upon you. Without much teaching or explaining, it is plain to see that Paul is deeply concerned and alarmed about what has been taught to the Galatian churches. Clearly the teaching from these false teachers is unsettling them and causing them to desert the gospel. So why is Paul so concerned? Because he knows what I preached to you in AD 48, you are so quickly now turning. I told you, and he says it again in Galatians 2, we know that a person is not justified or saved by works of the law. These teachers were adding to the gospel and creating internal turmoil within their souls and within the church. And Paul says they were doing this because they want to make a good showing in your flesh and they don't want to be persecuted for Christ. It is easier to lap on the religious checklist because it looks good to the world. It sets me at ease. I don't have to worry about suffering for uh, the, the persecuting for the cross of Christ because I can show them my good religion. Friends, have you ever felt this internal turmoil? I have. That feeling that says, I'm not doing enough to be a Christian. Gosh, and if what he said or what she said is what it means to be a Christian, I must not be one, or at least I'm not a very good one. Again, this week, another, the other night, I was having a conversation with a college student. And he asked me what he needed to do to make sure his soul was ready for heaven. It's a great question. So I said to him, I said, believe the gospel of the Jesus Christ that says, Christ died for your sins, was buried, rose again from the grave to give you forgiveness of sins and peace with God and life everlasting. Believe that. He said, that's it? I said, yep. I kind of sat there for a minute. And I could tell he was waiting on me and I could feel it welling up inside of me. 
and be a part of a good gospel preaching church and quit those three behaviors that I know you did last weekend. And, and I could feel the, and he could feel like, come on, okay, cry, I got, uh, yeah, okay, believe Jesus. And what else? And I just left it there. And it felt so good to leave it there. Feel good to, he's like, oh. And if you do that, your soul's ready. If you believe Christ, you will be saved. Isn't that all of our turmoil? Isn't that all of our struggle? Surely there's something I gotta do. Add to this. So as I prayed about this, honestly, I got, I told Mark, I was like, I was sort of in knots uh, up until 3.45 this morning when I was waking up. Because to apply this to a Christian subculture is pretty scary because this is an epidemic in the church to add to the gospel. So I'm gonna take a risk and open that can of worms with us. And there's two people, two people in general that I had in mind. The first, those of you who are listening online or here or will listen later this week, who have rejected Christianity or are considering rejecting Christianity, would you consider that it's possible that you're not rejecting Christ, but you're rejecting the additions to Christ that you've heard. Your parents taught you it was Christ plus fill in the blank. Your teacher at school taught you it was Christ plus fill in the blank. Your church taught you it was Christ plus fill in the blank. Your culture has taught you Christ plus fill in the blank. And it is the plus that you are rejecting. That's you, can I appeal to you? Come back to Christ. His grace is sufficient. His power is sufficient. He is a kind and merciful Savior. The gospel really is good news. You shouldn't be troubled anymore. If you find yourself troubled this morning and thinking about deserting Christ, please hear me. What is required for you to have peace with God has already been done and accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. What gives your soul freedom and liberty and forgiveness from sin is the finished work of Christ on the cross. What gives you the power to live each day for Christ in this world is the spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of you. Don't let anyone, not a preacher, not a teacher, not a parent, not an angel from heaven trouble you any longer. Christ came to you freely. The second person I had in mind were those of us who use a number of important, scripturally defined, culturally significant issues that we're adding to the gospel. Because, you know, like I said before, it's hard to get more biblically based than circumcision. It wasn't like they were pulling some Roman, uh, you know, uh, voodoo uh, fringe issue out. This was coming from their Old Testament. They were applying something they could go to proof text for. And Paul's saying, don't do it. That's not the gospel. Don't add to Christ something that is in your Bible. John Stott says the church's greatest troublemakers now, as then, are not those outside who oppose and ridicule and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. The church's greatest danger is not the anti-gospel outside the church, it is the counterfeit gospel inside the church. Christ plus growing kids God's way. That makes you a good Christian. Christ plus your view of the vaccination. That makes you a good Christian. 
Christ plus your view of worship music, that makes you a good Christian. Christ plus your involvement in social issues, that makes you a good Christian. Christ plus what you eat or drink or do on the weekends, that makes you a Christian. We could go on and on here. You see our tendency to add to this free grace? Phil Riken says, we worship in churches of many gospels. There is the gospel of material prosperity, which teaches that Jesus is the way to financial gain. There's the gospel of family values, which teaches that Jesus is the way to a happy home. This is the go- there is the gospel of self, which teaches that Jesus is the way of personal fulfillment. There's the gospel of religious tradition, which teaches that Jesus is the way to respectability. There's the gospel of morality, which teaches that Jesus is the way to be a good person. What makes these other, quote, gospels, because Paul said they're really not gospels, so dangerous, is that the things they offer are all beneficial. It's good to be prosperous, to have a happy home, to be well-behaved. Yet as good as all these things are, they are not good news. When they become for us a sort of gospel, then we are in danger of turning away from the gospel of free grace. This brings up two things to me. The first is the role of our conscience and then the danger of hypocrisy. Let me explain why. What I mean by the conscience is that place inside of us where inner turmoil starts. Should I do, say, or be such and such? Is is what I'm doing and saying, is, is that really what a real Christian would do? The conscience becomes bound In one of the greatest statements about this binding of the conscience, the Westminster Confession of Faith rightly teaches God alone is Lord of the conscience. This isn't some abstract point because to say otherwise is actually to deny the precious blood that has purchased us and makes it of no effect because your conscience is bound to something else. Paul would later in Galatians 2 say, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If I can add the blanks of Christ plus whatever, then I don't need his blood. Jesus had strong words for the religious teachers of his day in addressing this. He would say, you teach as commands the traditions of men. Friends, we must be very careful not to bind our own consciences or the consciences of others with things that are good and helpful, but at the end of the day are not added to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second issue that is clearly related to the conscience is that of hypocrisy. Because Jesus would say to these religious leaders on his day, you yourselves do not even keep the law that you're upholding that people should keep. Paul would say to the Galatians, these folks that want you to be circumcised, they don't even keep the law. Friends, the way to avoid being subject to your own hypocritical judgments is to rest on Christ alone for your salvation. Jesus would say, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured against you. You see, at the end of the day, when my conscience is troubled, I must cast myself on Jesus alone. And when I find myself or I'm found out to be a hypocrite, which you will be, I cast myself on Jesus. I don't even keep my own standard. Where do I go? Christ. So at every point, it's Christ. We're back to Christ. So cease striving is what the scriptures say. 
trust Christ. It's not about binding your conscience to something else, and it's not about trying to undo your hypocrisy. Paul would say this, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of bondage. Christian, you're free. It really is free. Christ went to the cross for you. End of story. You're free. That day on the mountain, heading up to the Grand Teton Summit, watching people get on their hands and knees and lapping up this fresh spring water was one of the clearest examples of the freedom and simplicity of the gospel to me. You see, to get to that point, we had to hike 12 miles covering 3,000 vertical feet. And when we got there, all of us were out of water, right? We were exhausted. And the joy of having a natural spring with no contamination, and you could just bathe in it and drink it and knowing it ain't gonna run out. It's gonna be here till the next millennial was so refreshing. The only thing required of us at that moment was to drink it. And friends, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It never runs dry. It is all satisfying. You do not need to try to add anything to it. You're just gonna contaminate it. Just sit and enjoy the life-giving, cool, nourishing water of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's be appropriately astonished when we see ourselves and anyone else trying to contaminate that gospel. And I pray that we as a church, you as an individual, would stand firm on that gospel uh, now and in the life to come. Amen? So we're going to come to this table where Jesus lays out what is to you. is his body and his blood given freely by his own choice, not on the basis of your merit, not on the basis of your works, but flowing from the heart of God, of love. The fountain of living water. So this morning, come to this table freely, laying aside everything that troubles you, your internal turmoil, come and cast those things to Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you would set us free. So many of us are bound up in turmoil, that we're failing in some way to be the Christian I'm supposed to be. Let us hear the Savior say, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Jesus paid it all. God, I pray that we would believe that. Only Christ. Only Christ. And I do pray against the temptation inwardly and outwardly to contaminate this gospel. Help us. Protect us. Prevent us from that, please. We need more than ever to live under the free grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So help us now as we feast on his body and blood and as we live in this this week. In Jesus' name, amen.